0: We live in a world that is rapidly changing. Uh, That's true now, but that's also always been true. The world changes. Generations change and people change and people's emphasis and focus and struggles, they change throughout their lives. The things that, that I struggle with now aren't the same things that I struggled with when I was a teenager and they're probably not going to be the same things I struggle with uh, if I'm, if, when I'm older, if I grow older. You know, there's, There are certain things that we struggle with and it changes, uh, certain things we enjoy and it, and it changes. There's a country song that came out years ago that has this repeated line, the only thing that stays the same is that everything changes. Uh, things change a lot. However, things also do remain the same a lot, too. Um, there are some things where you can look at the, uh, the, the outward appearance of it, and it might look like it's rapidly changing, but if you look at what its core is, you come to find out that it's actually always kind of been like that. Um, There's nothing new under the sun is another expression that we find in the Bible. Um, some things change and some things remain the same. Last week, we talked about why we should remain committed to Christ, why we should remain committed as followers of His in a world that is rapidly changing, in a world that can pull us in a lot of different directions, in a world that can pull us away from Christ. This week, we're not so much going to focus on why to do that, but we're going to look at some ways uh, that we can do that, or we're going to answer the question, how to do that? How do you remain committed? It's one thing to know that I should. It's another thing to actually do it. What will help me remain committed to Christ? If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, we're going to see a world that's a little bit different than ours. The world has changed. Perhaps some of the issues that they were dealing with have changed. Uh, For example, the religious world in which they were living, there was an idea that was spreading around about Jesus. It was an idea that had its roots in uh, in what later became really a prominent idea within early Christianity called Gnosticism. Uh, but it seems to be this idea that flesh is bad, that physicality, that material and matter is evil and bad because it was of this world and of this creation bad. But there are spiritual things that are good: the invisible, the 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 soul, the spirit, and all of that stuff. That's good. And as long as the physical is around and the spiritual is around there's a conflict between good and evil in our world All right. well how does that idea and worldview uh, make sense of a person like Jesus who is God and man how does it make sense of the foundational Christian idea of the incarnation that Jesus came in the flesh well you have a couple of options I suppose you could say Jesus came in the flesh but he's not God he's bad That's not a good option for a Christian. Um, The other option, if you want to maintain commitment to Jesus, is to say, okay, well, he came and he looked flesh. He sure did look it, but he was just a spirit. And he might have, to the human eye, looked somewhat fleshy, uh, but he was actually just pure God uh, in spirit spirit. And you could see him in some sort of manifestation, but he didn't really have a body. He didn't really have flesh. Now, that is one solution that the early church actually came to. Not everyone, obviously. It was highly controversial. But some, they came to believe that Jesus did not have a real flesh and blood body. He just appeared to be flesh and blood. Well, the gospel writers uh, see that as an issue. And one of the issues that they see with that is, uh, well, you know, especially some of those who were with Jesus, they were with Jesus. They saw him eat. Uh, they touched him. They, they know he was a physical human being just like everyone else is. He was a real person. Um, and, and so uh, there are some key Christian doctrines that if you have that idea about Jesus not really having a body uh, that kind of fall apart, like, for example, the virgin birth. Um, like, for example, the really important one also, uh, his death on a cross and his resurrection. How do you nail a spirit to a cross? Well, you can't really do that. Uh, and so there were other ideas that they seemed to come up with to try to resolve those issues. But the book of First John is dealing with a Christian community that seems to be being torn apart in a number of ways. And that idea is one of those reasons. That idea to us is a little bit strange, Right? It's like we've, you've never heard someone get up in a pulpit and preach that as truth, probably. In fact, I've, I've known a lot of Christians. Um, I don't know any Christian who that's their view of, of Jesus. I don't know anyone who is committed to, like, that's, that's just not, that idea has changed. We don't really talk about that. There are ways that people deny Jesus, but I don't usually hear that. Even, even among the most fringe atheists out there who says Jesus never existed, They would deny his physical body, surely, but it's not the same as this because they're not saying that he came in the flesh. Like like no one back then was denying the historicity that a person named Jesus was there. They were just kind of arguing about what he was made out of, but we just don't have that argument today. So it has changed. But if you read 1 John, some of the solutions to how to remain faithful to God, even with these crazy ideas swirling around that could pull you apart from them, I think those solutions are the same to our world's problems. What I mean is we live in a world where that might not be our problem. We have other problems, but we still have issues that are pulling us away or that could pull us away from Christ. And the solutions that are given in 1 John work just as well today as they did then. Some things change, like what the problem is, but the solution seems to remain the same throughout. And today, this morning, we're going to talk about the solution We're going to talk about it, uh, and there's so much more you could say. But I'm going to try to boil it down to three things that would be really, really helpful for knowing how to remain faithful to Christ, even in a world that wants to pull you away from him. Number one is going to be your faith. It's a pretty simple answer. I think everyone could have said it, but it's important. Number two is going to be your love. Also, pretty foundational, pretty simple, nothing profound about that, but it's critical. And number three is going to be your knowledge. And if you read through 1 John, you'll see the idea of faith, you'll see the idea of love, and you're going to see the idea of knowledge pop up over and over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, this is a Bible study uh, challenge right now I'm going to offer to everyone here that I think will be helpful for you to find time to do this week. It will take you much further in these ideas than I'm going to be able to in the lesson this morning. Get out Three different uh, markers or highlighters or even crayons. Uh, My kids' crayons work really well for this. And get your Bible or a Bible and open it up to 1 John and read through it. And every time you see the word love or some derivative, beloved or loving or something like that, mark it in one of those colors. And then every time you see the word faith, it might be translated faith or belief or a faithful or believing. But those words about faith and belief, mark those in a different color. And every time you see the word knowledge pop up, whether it's knowledge or just the word know, like we know him or we know this, mark that also. And if you do this, you'll notice a couple of things. You'll notice that those words will make your book of First John... You know, pop from your Bible like a rainbow. Like it's, it'll become very colorful because they're used all over the place. Um, Another thing, hopefully you'll notice is that those aren't the only three words that pop up over and over again. And if you want to take it further, get out some other colors and start marking the words that you notice that pop up. And all of a sudden, you'll see First John becomes this profound book where pretty much every verse. Is directly related and interrelated with every other verse, and that's one of the reasons why I find it a hard book to teach and preach from. Because I ha- it's really hard to find a starting and a stopping point for any idea in it without just covering the whole book. And so I'm going to try to not keep us here a long time. Uh, but uh, but it is it is a struggle to find like a good here's where he begins his point and here's where he ends his point. Because if you look at the words that he's using, the points are interwoven through every verse throughout the whole thing. So it becomes a, a fun book to dig into and to study. But seriously, do that this week. Just take 1 John, it's only five chapters and none of them are very long, and uh, read through it and try to note these words that pop up over and over again. And when you notice it, take a moment to think about that passage. Take a moment maybe to pray about how you can embody that in your life and in the way that you live and in your actions. And if you do that, uh, it'll be a, a deeply moving and helpful experience for you. Um, When you're reading 1 John, you're reading the life work of someone who has been with Jesus, someone who has spent real time with Jesus, and someone who has reflected throughout their life on those moments with Jesus, on the teaching of Jesus. You're spending time, as you read 1 John, with someone whose life has been utterly transformed by the Son of God. He'll have important things for you to say today. So, so that's my challenge for this week. Uh, try to find some time this week to do that with first John. But as for the lesson, I want us to zero in on two passages, two verses, and then kind of see what John does with those. So, uh, look with me at first John chapter three and verse 23 and 24. These are, uh, like central verses in the whole letter, and they explain a lot of the major point of what first John is trying to get us to, to believe and to do. So uh, we're going to read through First John chapter three, verses twenty-three and twenty-four. See if you can find words like believe or faith, words like love, and words like knowledge in here. I bet you'll find them. Verse twenty-three says, "This is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, of His Son Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as He commands us." The one who keeps his commandments abides or remains in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So right there, you see him say, here's the commandment. This is what you need to do. If it seems like the world is going crazy, if it seems like you might be losing a grip on some of your faith, here's what you need to do. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Make that central to who you are and to who your identity, and to your identity, and love one another. It's like be committed to Jesus and be committed to one another by faith and by love. And that is going to be, in essence, how you obey the commands of Jesus. The commands that Jesus said, they center on those ideas. Love is crucial and central to everything Jesus taught. If, if you, if you Notice at the end of verse 23, where he says, just as he commanded us, if you go to the book of John, the gospel of John, you'll see Jesus make that command quite a few times, explicitly saying, this is the new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, even as I also have loved you. The the idea is that we are supposed to imitate the love of Jesus in our actions towards one another. That will not only help us to grow closer to God, we'll grow closer to one another. And that is a crucial uh, part of remaining faithful. It's really, really hard to be a Christian on your own. It's really, really hard to fight the battles that we're called to fight without any help and without any community. No one is strong enough to do it. But collectively, as the body of Christ, we can overcome a whole lot. One idea you'll see pop up in 1 John quite a few times is that we can overcome the world. Or we can overcome the wicked one who is in the world. Uh, You'll see that there is the idea of conquering that comes through what John is calling us to do. And so let's look for a minute. We'll get into chapter 4 at how he expounds on the idea of believing in him and loving one another, and how that will give us crucial knowledge that we'll need in order to remain faithful. Believe, love, knowledge. Verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 4 say this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. So you should believe in the name of Jesus Christ, but don't believe every spirit that comes to town. Um, so when he says believe every spirit, I think he's talking about uh, every person. The spirit of the person who enters your town to talk to you about stuff. Don't be naive and just trust and listen to everyone who comes there. But instead, verse 1 says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. All right, so these false prophets that he has in mind are the people we talked about earlier. The people who are denying that Jesus came in the flesh. One of the things that John is going to do to increase our belief in Jesus is give a few tests to run. This is a good thing to do. This is a test to run if you find yourself not knowing whether or not you should believe this person or believe this or listen to this or listen to this. Verse 2 says, by this you will know the Spirit of God. All right, so this is a test To give you knowledge of the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, uh, Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Of whom you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. All right, so he says when someone comes, there's one really quick way you can find out whether you should listen to this person or not. Whether you should trust them. What do you think about Jesus? You know, Jesus is kind of what is central to the whole thing. If they say he didn't come in the flesh, then you know what? Don't listen to that person. But if they say, yeah, Jesus came in the flesh, okay, there you go. That's a person you can listen to. But notice he uses a truth about Jesus as a way to determine whether or not you should put your faith in something. Uh, he is using Jesus as the test of whether you listen or not. There's a lot of ideas about the, like the antichrist that pop up. The antichrist, that language comes from uh, the epistles of John. And right here, he's giving us a helpful definition. The one who comes denying that Jesus came in the flesh, they are against or anti the truth about Jesus. And so they are Antichrist. christ uh, And that's, it's a pretty simple word, and that's basically what it means, It's someone who's against Christ. And the way that they are against Christ is by denying fundamental truths about who he is. And so he says, that's a test you run right there. I want your belief in Jesus to be based on truth and what's actually right. So don't believe every spirit. Be critical about what you accept and what you don't. Uh, If someone's coming and they're denying essential truths about Jesus, probably not the source of truth you you want to be going to. Uh, He goes into verse 4. He says, notice verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. They all uh, deal with... Where you're from. And he says, you are from, they, that's the false teachers, are from, and we, that would be like the apostles and the people teaching the truth. There's a you, a they, and a we. And he says in verse 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. All right, so trust that God who is with you is greater than the people who are bringing you the teaching from the world, which is that idea about Jesus. Then verse 5 He says, they, those people bringing that teaching, are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. But, verse 6, we, the people who taught you, (laughs) are from God. He who knows God listens to us. And right there, he introduces us, we talked about knowledge, introduces us to the idea of knowing God. He's going to bring that up again here in a minute. But he says, if you want to know God, here's one thing you can do listen to us. And he who does not know God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's another litmus test. Uh, You can check the teaching that you're hearing with the teaching of the apostles. And if it comes from them and if it's in line with them, you're good. If it is rejecting the people who are actually with Jesus, then don't listen to it. All right, so he gives a couple of ideas here, but each one of these deals with that idea of how is it that we believe in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ? How is it that you have your faith right? Put your faith in Jesus. People who are denying him or being against him or contradicting the apostles and all of that, don't listen to them. Rather, spend time listening to and learning from the apostles. Now, how do we listen to and learn from the apostles? How how are they doing that right here with this letter that they received? They're reading this letter. There's one way that they're doing that. Um, This is where I think a knowledge of God is tremendously benefited by opening up our Bibles and reading the words that come from Jesus and the words about Jesus. Genuinely spending time listening to the words of God is a really, really crucial way to get to know God. It is uh, transformative. It helps keep you from believing a bunch of wrong things about Jesus that could lead you astray. Spend time with your scriptures. Spend time reading. Spend time doing what we just talked about doing with 1 John and read through it regularly and do that with other books as well and you'll come to find out that you not only will get knowledge about a book, you'll actually come to know God more. And when we talk about knowing God, there are a couple different ways that we can do that. Um, There's one way, which is knowing a lot about God. Uh, you can tell me some of his attributes, you can tell me some of the things he's done, you can tell me some helpful information about him. Um, I could tell you some helpful information about Abraham Lincoln. I'm actually, I don't know a lot about Abraham Lincoln, like I'm no Lincoln scholar, but I can tell you he's the 16th president. Uh, I can tell you that uh, that uh, he, uh, he was the president uh, who, uh, during the Civil War, who led to the, uh, the the abolition of slavery. I can tell you that he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth in Ford's Theater, and that's you know, not, not out of information yet, but that's those are the high points that I know about Lincoln um but I can tell you some things about Lincoln but I don't really know him like we've never like laughed with each other over a campfire and and discussed our deepest most intimate secrets and things like that uh I don't know him I know about him my wife I know uh we've talked about everything I spend time with her regularly. I've seen uh, all of her wonderful qualities and all of her other wonderful qualities. I've seen, uh, <laughs> I've seen, uh, I, like, I've seen her through good times and through bad times, and I know her. Um, there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. And what we're being called to do here is to actually come to know God, to know Him as, as in a relational way, not just know facts about him. There is a sense in which our Bible study could help us to learn about God. That's really important because you can't know someone that you don't know anything about. So you have to know about God, but that also opens the door to us truly becoming to know him. When you get to verse 7, here's where he transitions from faith to love. And he says that's actually another way that you get to know God. Because when you come to understand who God is then the greatest way to know him is love because god is love to experience love is to experience god to love one another is to embody who god is among ourselves and so in verse 7 i mean beloved let us love one another for he who is from for love is from god and everyone who loves is born of god and knows God. So the the idea of being born of God is acting like your father. You know, if your father was a carpenter, good chance you're going to be a carpenter. If your father was uh, was a blacksmith, good chance you'll be a blacksmith. Here what he's saying is God is love. And so if you want to be a child of God, you love, you practice love. That's how you're going to be like God. And that's also how you're going to come to know God. You can't know God if you don't know love. They are inextricably linked together. You can't separate them. In verse 8, he says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. So so here is a crucial fact about God's love that helps us come to know love and helps us come to know him. Verse 9 says, That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if god so loved us we also ought to love one another if if you want to know god you look at what has happened through jesus look at jesus's life look at jesus's teachings look at jesus as he came to this world but then also look at jesus's death and by by seeing what Jesus experienced for you, you'll get this picture of what God's love, the sacrificial, all-consuming love of God, is all about. And it's that love that reveals the true character and nature of God more than anything else. And it's that love that we then put in practice towards one another. Just quickly, John chapter, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, We know love by this that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If you want to know love, which is how you know God, you look at Jesus laying down his life for you, and then you lay down your life for others. Now, you might not have many situations where you literally have to lay down your life for another person. But what happens in verse 17 of chapter 3? But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? He says, okay, so you should lay down your life for that person. You say, okay, cool, I will. Chances are I'll never have to, so good. He says, okay, but what about when you see someone who's in need? Do you practice that love then? Let us, the famous verse in verse 18 of chapter 3, little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. I love you. You're great. But in deed and in truth, that's with sacrificial love. That's with giving. That's with laying down your life for another person. So when you do that, that feeling that you have, that you have expressed self-sacrifice for another person out of love, that is you coming to know God. Because that's who God is. That's how you experience Him in a deeper level than you ever have before. If you want to remain faithful, if you want to remain with Christ, well, believe in him, believe the truth about him, but then practice who he is, love towards one another. And when you do that for others, and when others do that for you, it creates a bond that is really, really hard to break. Notice how this passage right here, they have a problem of false teaching. And one of his solutions to it isn't, so just, just make sure you know everything so that you can win every debate. One of his solutions is, love one another. And you'll come to find out that what you have in that is greater than what they're trying to sow among you. Don't be divided from one another based on their teachings. Love one another in a greater way than that. He continues on. Uh, This is just a beautiful section of love in the gospel here, or in in the first uh, John here. But in verse 12, he then says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Why does he, in the middle of this paragraph, bring up the fact that God's invisible? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you cannot see God. But do you know what you can see? You can see the demonstration of love among one another. And you can, you, can act, you can act in that way. And when you do that, that's how we come to see God. You, you see God in this community when we love one another and act in love towards one another. And that is how the invisible God is manifest among us. That is how the God that we can't see with our eyes comes to be seen and experienced with our hearts among this community. It's a beautiful passage. He continues on, uh, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Uh, Verse 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love remains or abides in God, and God abides in him. If you want to know how to remain committed, that verse right there joins everything to, that we just said. Verse 16. We have come to know, knowledge, and have believed, faith or belief, the love of love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains or abides in love abides or remains in God. So stick to love and you'll stick with God. Stick with love for one another. And that is a key element to remaining with God and remaining in fellowship with God. And when you do that, God remains with you as well. Is knowledge important? It's absolutely You know, this world is tough, and staying faithful is tough. And it becomes a whole lot harder when you don't actually know that, say, God loves you. Um, You know, if if you want to remain committed to him and you don't know that he loves you, that's a really hard idea. If you read the book of Malachi... You read what happens when people don't think God loves them anymore. Uh, Malachi begins with God saying, I have loved you. And they say, how have you loved us? Like, they, they don't believe that God even has loved them. And when you see the life of a people who doubt the love of God... It leads to them cutting corners in their worship with him. It leads to them not actually being sacrificial towards God and not being sacrificial to one another. It leads to turning against one another. It leads to robbing God in a bunch of ways. And all of a sudden, the foundational idea of knowing that God loves us becomes foundational to everything else we do as a body of Christ. So how do we come to know that God loves us? Well, you remember Jesus and you look to him. You experience his love within a community of faith. And in that, you'll know that God loves you. And you know what that love will help you do? If you look at verse 17 and 18, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. One thing that experiencing and trusting the love of God will do is it will give you confidence on the day of judgment that you're standing before a judge who loves you very, very much. A judge who loves you enough to give his son for you. A judge who died for you to forgive you. You think he's going to try to, with vengeance in his heart, hold your failures against you? Or is he going to try to forgive them and do everything possible to make sure that happens? That's what the loving judge will do. And when you have that, you can know. You can know with confidence that you will be all right in the day of judgment. You can know with confidence that you have eternal life. Look at chapter 5 and verse 13. We'll bring the lesson to a close. 1 John five thirteen says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's hard to remain committed to eternal life if you don't know you have it. If you don't know that you have it now and in the age to come. And the reason you might doubt that you have it is if you doubt that God loves you enough to give it to you. So, I guess as we bring the lesson to a close, what I want, if you want to remain faithful to God, if you want to remain committed, know that he loves you very much to the extent that he will sacrifice his son to die for you. And that love that he gives you through Jesus, take it, rejoice in it, and give it to one another. And as you do so, you'll remain committed to one another. You'll also remain committed to Jesus. You'll love and you'll trust and you'll have faith in him at even newer and higher levels. Um, Those are pretty simple, but they are keys to remaining faithful. Worship with one another as a way to celebrate with each other these fundamental truths about who God is. Uh, Join in ministries of the church so that you can labor for one another for the good of the kingdom as a labor of love. Make sure that your life isn't a passive, uh, just letting life happen to you and seeing with your fingers crossed if you're faithful at the end. Commit now to remaining faithful by putting your trust in Jesus, loving one another, and knowing the God who loves you. If there's anyone who would like to become a Christian this morning, uh, you can name Jesus as Lord of your life and have your sins washed away in baptism. Uh, Please do that. You can come up here to the front row or you can talk to one of our elders in the library in the back. Or if you have a need for the prayers of the church, we love you and we'd like to help. If you have the need, please come and sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.